Well, it's one of two mustard seed Sundays. Now, this is not the mustard seed, and if you have faith as big as it, you can go plant trees in the ocean and move mountains. No, no, this is the mustard seeds might be tiny, but they grow into the biggest of all shrubs Sunday. I had to look up the difference between trees and shrubs, if you didn't know it. Trees are over 20 feet tall, have trunks more than two inches in diameter at 4.5 feet above the ground, and shrubs are smaller than trees and often have many smaller, woody, bark-covered stems rising from the base. That's according to the National Park Service. I actually drew my inspiration from the Gospel, where it says Jesus always preached in parables, but privately he would explain everything to the disciples. I also remembered some words that were spoken at my installation 30 years ago. You have been called among us to proclaim the good news. Last year I read a book on OCHRS. OCHRS stands for Objectives and Key Results. It's the latest in the never-ending saga of strategy and organization. Now, like all the other strategy and organization books, it asks a simple question. What are you trying to accomplish? As individuals or a group, if we are content to run around chasing our tails, then our goal is to chase our tails. But if we have an actual goal, whether it's to pray five minutes a week, deepen our relationship, get out of debt, work a little longer or a little shorter, well, none of that's going to be accomplished by chasing our tails, no matter how good we are at chasing our tails. If you read through Jesus' parables, you discover they all have a theme. Fruit trees, they should bear fruit. Fishermen should catch fish. Farmers should grow crops. Weddings shouldn't run out of wine. And by the way, if you put new wine into an old wine skin, well, the yeast is going to cause the wine to expand and it's going to burst. What should churches and Christians do based upon this theme from the parables? Every time Jesus starts off the kingdom of heaven is like, we know that he's about to teach us a very valuable and important lesson about the Christian life. The Pareto Principle, also known as the 80-20 rule, the law of the vital few, or the principle of factor sparsity. Yeah, I like that one. It's named after an Italian who, back in 1896, discovered that 80% of the land in Italy was owned by 20% of the people. As more and more individuals studied their various disciplines, they discovered that 80% of the results came from 20% of the people. Those numbers have now skewed closer to 90-10 in a lot of areas. So back to, in public, Jesus preached using parables, but privately he explained everything to his disciples. Most churches focus 90% of their ministry into just a few hours on Sunday morning. There may be a Bible study, youth group, counseling, and work day during the week, but most of what the church is and does takes place between 8.15 and noon on Sunday mornings. Or does it? There has always been a tension when it comes to worship. You hear people say, I didn't get anything out of worship today, which creates problems on several levels. So what did they give? And I'm not talking about their offering. I'm talking about their heart and soul. What did they expect? And how did they measure it? Every one of us is different. We like different food, music, and clothing styles. We have different favorite sports and teams and authors and vacation spots. We have different love languages. Some of us are introverts, some are extroverts, and some are somewhere in between. And don't even get started on late night people versus early morning people. 
It would be impossible to plan a worship service that everyone agreed on. If the purpose of worship is for everyone to feel something or get something, which, by the way, only they can define out of it. Now, this is not to say we shouldn't get something out of worship. But unless we can definitively define what it is we expect from worship and line it up with what the Bible says that worship is, we're just chasing our tails. And that's not going to get us anywhere. In the most narrow sense, what you get out of worship is the forgiveness of sins, the reminder that you're a unique and unreproducible miracle of God, and Jesus keeps pointing you to home, heaven, and says, it's waiting for you. Now, all of this comes not just through word and sacrament, which is the proclamation of the gospel. It was that which I was tasked with at my installation service as your pastor. But you see, this also comes through the proclamation of the gospel that comes through the people of God gathered together in worship, which would be you. In 1979, Steve Martin's movie, The Jerk, came out. It's about an average guy who accidentally discovers something and overnight he becomes a millionaire and has everything he wants and a lot more. But then, as it must in all movies, he has to lose everything because that's the plot twist. As he processes his loss, standing there in his bathrobe and his bunny slippers, he announces loudly, I don't need any of this. I don't need any of this stuff. And then there's an awkward pause. And then he says, except this ashtray and this paddle game and this remote control and this lamp and this magazine and this chair. And when he comes to his dog and he says, and my dog, except the dog growls at him and he says, oh, I guess I don't need my dog. The church has gathered a lot of stuff. Every time someone comes up with an evangelism program or a worship style or one of those other things that every church must be and do, the church adds more and more stuff. But we rarely get rid of the old stuff. And so the church becomes to resemble an attic filled with stuff, much of which, which is gathering dust and is covered in it. We're content to let all those things be until someone tries to take one of them away. We might say, you know what? I don't need any of this. No, I don't need any of this stuff. But then there will be that awkward pause. And then we'll start saying, well, except, and we'll start naming all the things that have been gathering dust, but which now suddenly are very, very important to us and we're unwilling to give up. But do we really need all of it? And what does it do? When Jesus sent his disciples out, Matthew's gospel records, as you go, announce this, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with skin diseases, drive out demons. You have received free of charge, give free of charge. Don't take along gold, silver, or copper for your money belts. Don't take a traveling bag for the road or even an extra shirt, sandals, or walking stick. For the worker is worthy of his wages. More and more, I believe the church has forgotten to read the entire gospel and instead tends to hold on to the parts that agree with him, especially the parts that make it very, very comfortable to be a Christian. And here is where we return to our gospel lesson about the mustard seed. And Jesus said, how can we illustrate the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when sown in the soil is smaller than all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the vegetables and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. You are that mustard seed. How do I know this? Well, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can plant trees in the ocean and actually move mountains. Your faith is indistinguishable from who you are as a believer. And your faith allows you to do the work of God, which, by the way, is far more important than planting palm trees in the ocean. 
The same things that are common sense about taking a seed and planting it and caring for it as it becomes whatever plant, shrub, or tree that seed was to become, well, that's exactly what the gospel is. The gospel is not just a manger and a cross and an empty tomb. It's also a world that is a bunch of people who still want to hear about Jesus and a God who sent you to love them and care for them because that is the actual fruit of your faith. Just for a minute, we need to climb aboard Noah's Ark, the animal stench and noise, the lostness, the overwhelming need to get off and stretch your legs. But there is nowhere to go, just water wherever you look. After the rain stopped and enough time went by, Noah took a dove up on the deck and he released it. It took off flying high and looked for a place to land. After exhausting its little wings because it hadn't exercised in a long time, it returned to the ark. Noah continued to release doves every morning. And finally, one day, a dove came back. It had found a place to land, and it brought an olive branch in its beak. There are millions of people who are flitting about on this planet, lost, tired, desperate, and they can't find a place to land. They don't even have an ark to go back to. By the way, even before the pandemic, the suicide rate, addictions, runaway, school dropout rate, and homelessness, it was overwhelming, and not just in America, everywhere, and it feeds on itself. Now, Jesus told his disciples to go and make disciples. Keyword, go and make disciples, because he knew our hearts and souls. He knows it's not easy for us to walk into a church, to confess our sins, to find an accountability partner, to admit that we could use some help. And in our going and making disciples, it was never about just being one of those folks who stands on the street corner twirling one of those signs that points this way to church. Because with all due respect to Kevin Costner, if we build it, they won't necessarily come. The mustard seed is a common, ordinary seed. It's tiny, but it grows up into a large bush, which if you remember, the National Park Service means it is smaller than a tree and often has many small woody bark-covered stems rising from the base. Jesus added, though, but it produces large enough branches that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. You know, birds don't nest until they feel comfortable and safe. And the reason I know that you're a mustard seed and eventually will become a shrub that grows from that seed is because you can reach people that I cannot. You can reach people that won't set foot inside a church, at least not yet. You can reach people who would never dial the helpline or go see a doctor or attend therapy. At least not yet. You are the shade and the branch for them to rest on until they're able to take the next step. I thought about that dove that Noah sent off. It flew and flew and flew until it finally found a place to rest. But the whole world is still flooded. There's still no food, nothing to make a nest of. And yet there's hope. For the first time in all those days, there's finally hope. And it takes that tiny sprig back to the ark and in so doing shares that hope and that promise of a new life with everyone. Think about the people in your life. Think about you. What do you need to feel safe and secure? What do your friends and family need to feel safe and secure? Unless they have been church their whole life, offering them a worship service. And by the way, it wouldn't matter if we had an amazing organ, worship band, video screen, hymnals, incense, padded pews they're not going to get it, at least not yet. If they come to church, by the way, it'll be because you are here. See, as much as we would like to think that praying the sinner's prayer automatically and immediately casts out all doubt and instills within you a total and complete trust in Jesus, it doesn't. Neither does baptism, confirmation, or a potluck. 
Faith comes from hearing, the book of Romans says, specifically hearing the word of God, the voice of God. But it doesn't have to be a preacher who speaks those words, nor does it have to take place from a pulpit behind stained glass windows. And rarely is the effect of God's word immediate. Oftentimes it takes a while, and someone has to be there to encourage them, love them, forgive them, guide them during that very long process. You see, God's word may have an immediate effect. The problem is it's not seen or understood by the person until they get what it is that God is doing. You have been called by God to be a resting place for the people in your life. Oh, and by the way, don't worry. Someone has also been called to be a resting place for you. We need each other. But if people are going to rest under your shade, you need to be healthy enough to provide that shade. You might just have one really big leaf and then a bunch of bare branches. Because if we're honest, sometimes that's the absolute best that we can do. But God isn't done with us yet. And as time goes by, the Spirit will continue to nurture us. And more leaves and branches will appear. Just like when we take good care of our plants and they become healthier. You know one of Jesus' other parables? The one about the fig tree that didn't produce any figs? The owner was ready to uproot it and throw it away. But the caretaker said, give me a year. Let me dig around it. Let me water it. Let me fertilize it. What a unique concept. We could probably learn something from that, which is probably why Jesus told that parable. I know sometimes you don't feel any bigger or more important than a mustard seed. And when you look around, there's a billion other mustard seeds that look just like you. And of course, that doesn't help. But you are a unique and unreproducible miracle, even if you are a mustard seed. And when you begin to blossom, you don't need to provide shade or branches for the whole world just for those who God has put into your life so that they might find a safe place to rest. And while they are resting, you have the most amazing opportunity to speak to them about the love of God, to proclaim the gospel, even if you never use words. You see, a tree or a shrub, even a bush, doesn't spend its whole life saying, I think I can grow. I think I can develop branches and leaves. I think I can grow fruit. No. It just does those things because that is what it was created to do. You were created in the image of God, redeemed by the precious, precious blood of His Son, Jesus, and you have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In other words, you were created and equipped to proclaim the gospel, and it always starts by just being a place where your friends and family, and maybe even a stranger too, can feel safe and secure. Worship has always been about being drawn into the presence of God, that's where you know you are safe and where you discover His love. And by the way, worship only requires one thing, the presence of God. Instead of chasing your tail, be the unique and unreproducible miracle God created you to be. It's the Spirit working in and through you to make God's love known first to you and then through you. Let the Spirit work and then be amazed at all the things that are going to take place. Because after all, that's what the gospel is all about. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.